What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's episode is with a very special guest, a legend, the godfather of bodybuilding himself, Mr. Jeff Alberts of 3DMJ. That's the 3D Muscle Journey. Jeff Alberts is one of many who are in 3DMJ, and 3DMJ, for those of you who don't know, is uh, who I refer to as the Justice League of bodybuilding. And they are a group of individuals who have been coaching, have been training, have been athletes themselves, and have been in the trenches of training and nutrition for decades now. Jeff Alberts specifically, multiple de- decades. So it's an honor to have somebody of his caliber come on the show, share his information, share information about his experiences with coaching and with competing himself and balancing it all within his lifestyle because he is a father, he is a family man, but he's also a uh, high-level bodybuilder, high-level natural bodybuilder, and he's in a group of individuals who are among some of the smartest individuals inside of the fitness space. Um, and I stand by that because I've been following them. I've been purchasing their ebooks and their products and their courses, um, consultations from them for uh, over five years now because they've been providing so much value for so long. And there's somebody I really look up to. So to have Jeff on the show was really just an honor. Um, and it was so cool being able to actually sit down and talk with him because, again, he's been doing this for multiple decades. So that guy has so much information and experience to share with us. And it was really cool to hear his side of things because you learn that you really need to be committed, you need to be consistent, and you need to focus on the big rocks of this stuff. And he lays down what the big rocks are. He explains what we do not need to worry about or get consumed with, um, which is hard to do in the fitness and nutrition space because there's so much hype and good marketing around so many different things now that you don't always know if you can trust. So Jeff and the entire 3DMJ crew are really good about bringing forward Once again, evidence-based principles, methods, and strategies that we can actually trust and use to get us some of the best results possible, whether we are natural bodybuilders, powerlifters, or just the general population looking to improve our physique, looking to improve our performance, looking to improve our lifestyle from a health perspective. So really, really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Before we get into the episode, I do have one quick announcement. This week, we launched the Boom Boom Performance Recipe guide. This is a guide. Um, it's 101 macro-friendly meals. And, and why it's called one-on-one macro-friendly meals is because we actually included the macros for each and every recipe, which is, to me, the coolest part about this. You know, there's a lot of recipe books out there. There's a lot of recipe guides. Um, there's a lot of great recipes that you can find anywhere. But to actually have the macros broken down for you so you can implement them into your nutritional protocol is such a game changer and it's so helpful for those of us who are tracking macros and for those who aren't because it tells us when we should eat these foods, what type of meals they are, should they be around our workouts. Um, And Courtney, uh, one of the coaches at Boom Boom Formance, did a great job of laying everything down in very simple terms, giving us the macros, splitting it up into breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. Um, And we actually even included different influencers from Instagram. So you might run into some of your favorite fitness Instagram influencers or coaches who gave us recipes to be featured inside of the book. So if you guys want to grab a copy, it is on sale this week for $17.99. If you want to grab a copy, of the Boom Boom Formats Recipe Guide, 101 Macro-Friendly Meals. You can click the link in the description now, or you can head over to boomboomperformance.com slash recipe dash book. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this awesome episode with the one and only Jeff Alberts. All right. Well, Jeff Alberts, man, I'm excited to have you here. I've been following the uh, all you guys from 3DMJ for I mean, years now, you guys have been putting out so much free content over the years. It's really cool to finally have one of you guys on the show to talk shop. And uh, for those uh, listeners who don't know exactly who you are, can you give us who Jeff Alberts is in a nutshell? Oh, my gosh. So 
let's start this out by just saying I am a, a dad and husband first and foremost. Um, that's always priority. Um, after that, um, I'm a lifetime natural bodybuilder. Um, been competing since the early 90s. Been training since 1986, so closing in on 33 years. And um, I'm a coach at 3D Muscle Journey, where we coach um, primarily natural athletes, both bodybuilding and powerlifting. Love it. So let's go way back then. You've been training for a long time, um, which I'm going to get into because to be able to consistently train for that many years is, is something amazing in and of itself, just avoiding injuries or working around injuries. Cause I'm sure you've had some over the years. Um, how did, what, how old were you and, and when did it all start and how did it all start? What got you into bodybuilding in the first place? I started when I was in four, I was 14 years old. I was, uh, eighth grade PE class. Um, they had one of those old universal machines in there. And, uh, that's where I kind of started. I just started lifting in, uh, in PE. And then at the time I was living with my, my mom and my stepfather and, um, it was a little bit rough at home. Um, and so I kind of used weightlifting as a, uh, escape from reality at times. So I had an old plastic weight set in my room um, and I would just go in there after school and lift just to kind of escape some of the home life there. And, uh, I kind of just fell in love with, uh, how it made me feel. Um, people like the kids at school would just, you know, kind of see how strong I was getting. And so that was kind of like, you know, felt good to get that, um, you know, that praise from them. So it just kind of just kept me going and I kind of never looked back. I just, just really fell in love with it as far as training. And I've been training pretty much ever since. I mean, there's been little moments here and there, you know, life gets in the way a little bit, but for the most part, I would say I was probably never out of the gym more than six months out of that whole time span over the 33 years. That's wild. At what point did it turn into actually competing? I started competing in 93. Um, I had been to a local show called Mr. Fremont here in California. And I went to, I went as a spectator with my dad. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I never envisioned myself getting on stage in underwear. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting up there because I'm kind of shy and reserved. I'm like, there's no way. Uh, but I just thought it was cool, like, seeing these muscle dudes up there. But I had no desire to get there on stage. And then it was about, you know, a few years later, my ex-wife was like, you can do that. And I'm like, nah, I ain't doing that. So she kind of pushed me to do it. She's encouraged me to say, you can do it. So I finally just gave in and I jumped in. And just that moment of getting on stage like I was hooked like I was like this is awesome and just the process of getting there like I fell in love with that more so than the actual show um, but it was just ever since then it was just like it's something that I've just it's kind of like brushing my teeth now it's just I just do it um, but I think what keeps me going is more so the love um, than anything else was there ever a point where um you were influenced by drugs or people brought it up or you considered it or anything like that. I'm just curious because you guys promote natural lifting, which yeah. I do well, but I know in that era it was natural bodybuilding wasn't as big of a sport, I believe as it is today. Yeah. I didn't know of natural bodybuilding until the late nineties, like early on the first few years of competing was just the local shows. Um, the Federation at that, that time when I was competing was like the AAU. It wasn't drug tested. Um, and then the NPC, of course. So, I really didn't know of tested, you know, shows. So, and I never really had any desire to, to do steroids. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of thinks like, Oh, what would I look like? You know, if I was, but I never had any desire to actually 
take them. And I think a lot of that's just a credit to my upbringing, my parents, you know, say no to drugs, that type of thing. And so even as like in high school, I never gravitated towards, you know, drinking or smoking or any of that. I was just more into training. Um, and then it, it, it was frustrating early on because there's guys that, you know, you're, you're getting beat by that you kind of know they're not, you know, walking on the same, you know, level playing field you are. And so it's a little bit frustrating, but I just never deviated from what I believe for me, like what my path should be. Okay. Okay. So how did that become 3DMJ? Because obviously a big part of 3DMJ is that component. You guys are all natural and you promote natural um, lifting for the most part, I believe. Um, how did you guys form and create this like Justice League of Fitness Professionals? Yeah. So in 2009, uh, I was getting ready for my shows in, in that season. And I came out of like a two-year hiatus. You know, I was kind of semi-retired. So I came back and I had some bad experiences early on as far as competing, making it too serious. I was obsessed about winning. I had some bad experiences because of that. So I just told myself in 2009, hey, let's just compete. Let's just have fun this time. And who cares about placings and all that? Who cares about trying to get a natural pro card or any of that stuff? So long story short, basically met the other guys from 3D Muscle Journey backstage. Eric Helms was competing in the shows I was doing. Um, and we're doing drug tested um, events. So, you know, all natural bodybuilding events. And we got talking backstage and we kind of clicked. And, you know, at the time I had started 3D Muscle Journey already. It was already a blog. Basically, I was doing like a weekly blog, um, just chronicling my journey. And um, I met Eric in, in Alberto. And these guys, um, you know, they're on the bodybuilding.com forums. They had like a little community there that they were interacting with a lot of other people in there. They came with me, you know, after getting to know them a little, little better. Hey, let's start this coaching thing. We can help people and spread, um, you know, better knowledge to particularly, you know, California because the East Coast is, was at the time was known for the natural bodybuilding scene. Um, the West Coast was a little behind as far as, um, you know, the science and the information. It was kind of old school still. So they wanted to bridge the gap. So they're like, hey, Jeff, you got this website. Hey, we got this community over at bodybuilding.com on the forums. Let's see if we can help people and help the sport grow on the West Coast. So that's kind of how it started and originated um, as far as 3D Muscle Journey and trying to, you know, better natural body like getting the word out as far as better ways of doing things. And, I, and I'm sure most of the listeners know all about it. I reference you guys quite a bit because you have so much resources out there but for those who might not be familiar what is like what would you call 3dmj now you guys do so many different things like when somebody asks you oh what do you do or what's 3dmj what do you tell them oh man it's changed so much so early on so just to give some context when we first started out the primary goal and mission was to we're kind of covering natural bodybuilding as a whole like the website we're like hey let's just make this more like an online magazine and just give other natural athletes exposure try to help the sport grow and then we started coaching after that um, so we became coaches and then now I'd say fast forward to where we're at now um, we have Eric Helms who's got his PhD he's I mean basically one of the leading researchers in the field so we're basically kind of we're educators coaches promoters I mean just whatever you want to call it for natural body but we try to basically just our mission never stopped. Like we're still continuing to try to improve the sport and improve, you know, the athletes within it to get better. 
yeah, and anybody listening, I highly recommend go check out, I mean, the blog or the YouTube alone, free information will teach you so much, but you guys have the vault now, which has a ton of stuff that I've been absorbing, mm -hmm. which is huge as well, because it's more applicable in situations you guys have gone through. Um, to bring things back to you, um, first thing I really want to cover is like longevity in the gym. What are some things that you've learned over the years? What are things that you implement into your athletes to make sure that people can train for 10, 20, 30 plus years? Yeah, I think the big thing for me, I mean, it took me a while to really get to where I am now as far as my mindset and the approach. Early on, I wasn't, never really thought about, okay, when I train in my 30s, how am I going to train in my 40s? I never thought about it. I was like, hey, man, just go hard or go home. That's how I was early on, and that's how I trained. So now, I mean, with the experience I have now, what I try to really put into my athletes is like more of like the big picture. Yes, we need to train hard. Yes, we need to get after it. But it can be a double-edged sword. Like if you're if you're pushing too hard, too often, too frequent, it could bite you in the ass. You know, you can start developing injuries, aches and pains. And the number one thing, in my opinion, that's going to derail your progress or slow your progress down is not so much not having the most optimal programming or nutrition. It's more like your health. So if you're banged up, you know, you can almost kiss your progress goodbye. So that's something I try to instill into my athletes is that, yeah, we want to train hard, but we want to train smart um, and really pace ourselves. Because now when if you look at it, I mean, natural bodybuilding is not a sprint. You know, you're not going to, you know, you, you, in a sense, you can make progress for years and even decades. So it doesn't have to happen in the first two years, you know. Yeah. Great if you can make a lot of progress. I'm not saying don't get after it, but just think you got to look past that and think, okay, I still have, you know, a good 20 to 30 years left in the sport. So what mistakes do you see these people making or what mistakes did you make along the way of trying to figure that out? Because I think, like you said, it takes everybody, even me, I haven't been training nearly as long as you, but the first at least few years, I ran into that cyclical process of burning out constantly because you just try to keep going and going and going. So what mistakes did you make and what mistakes do you see your clients make? The biggest mistake I made was not so much physical, but more so mental and emotional. Like, um, I got, uh, like as far as, um, training, like an approach to training early on, I got into Mike Mincer's hit training. Um, so like Dorian Yates hits, like it, I gravitated towards it. And because I did make some pretty good progress with it early on, um, and because I was young and really wasn't exposed to too much outside of that, I became very close minded, um, to any other approaches or ideas. So anytime someone would say, Hey Jeff, maybe try this is better. I would be like, no, I would defend what I was doing. Like I, I was like, in a sense, kind of part of my identity. So I have these people, I just saw it as people trying to attack what I was doing as opposed to, Hey, if I'm open-minded, maybe I can incorporate some of these things and actually become better. So that was one thing that kind of held me back for a long time was just being very close minded, being very egotistical, um, bit, like not just physically, but like I said, mentally, um, and emotionally, I mean, in the gym, yeah, the ego, I mean, training too hard, too heavy, you know, all the time, basically looking in hindsight now is probably, you know, training in a fatigue state for a very long time. Um, so those are kind of the things that kind of was holding me back. Uh, so I just like, I really encourage people, like whether you're young, old or in between, it's like, if the more you're open to ideas, um, the better you can become because, you know, if you just get stuck on one thing, it's only going to take you so far. 
And Mike Menser's hit training is that um, so people know? And I think I'm thinking of the correct thing. Don't you do one or two sets just, but to absolute failure? Yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, one or two sets. You take it to basically failure. Um, you know, there's things like you know going like um, forced reps, um, negatives, static holds, like all this like high intense stuff. Um, I got my, I got really good at it. Like I was really good at doing that. Uh, but it wasn't until my late thirties where the other guys at, at Freedom Muscle Journey, like Eric and, and Brad and, and Alberto, were like, Hey Jeff, let's, let's tone some of that down and let's add more volume in and um, let's make sure that you're recovering well and all that. And so slowly over time, you know, I started to notice like, Oh, these things are actually working, but it, it took a little bit of convincing for them to me to let go of what I was doing. Cause I was pretty hard headed. Um, and even in the late thirties, like my mindset was like, I've been training for, you know, 20 something years already. How much more progress am I going to see? I'm old. And they're like, that's nonsense. And, uh, you know, long story short, they're right. I was wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about that real quick. Cause I've always been curious. Um, we see a lot of, I don't like to use the word older, but older bodybuilders that are getting past, even just past like their forties always look the most shredded. Is there anything to that? Like, what do you think is going on? Why are these guys able to get lean? Is it just a matter of they just, just been doing it longer? Like, what's going on with that? I think that's a huge component. I mean, most of the most of the natural bodies in their 40s, like the seasoned ones that have been training a long time, yeah, they're going to be far more developed. Um, and they're just – they know how to diet better. They're more experienced. Stress levels are lower. Um, so, yeah, they just have a way to get leaner than maybe someone who's only done that maybe a couple times. Um, also too, your skin does get a little bit thinner as you age. Um, so I'm sure that's a small, small part of it, but that's, that is true. Um, but I just think it's the experience level. Like the longer you train, the more developed you're going to get. I think from a size aspect, um, I can say personally, like I'm not that much bigger than I was, you know, in comparison to my thirties or twenties, but it's just that different look. Um, just, it's hard to explain. You just have a more mature look to your physique. How do you convince people to stick with it for longer to get to that point? Because I think with social media now, there's so many people out there that um, even some people like Matt Ogus is a great example. He looks shredded and people watch him, but a lot of people don't understand he's actually been training for quite a long time. and He's been working at it since he was a teenager. And I think people don't see the years put into it when they see pictures all the time. How do you talk to these younger bodybuilders or just younger people in general, general population as well? looking to change their body and like convince them that, you know, you got to invest, you got to commit, you got to wait a little bit longer and just be patient. That's just a big, that's a huge component is the patient thing. And that's a hard, it's hard to sell patience, especially to younger, younger athletes are very eager for progress. Um, but you have to just be, I'm upfront. You have to be realistic and say, you know, you know, the reality is, is, you know, if you're five foot eight, you know, and you're a relatively average frame, you're not going to be walking around at 200 pounds shredded, you know, muscle is okay. Maybe five, eight, maybe 180. That's more realistic. So having clear realistic expectations, I think is important, but I think, you know, if you look at my history and you just look through the photos from the years, you can see steady progress. Um, yeah, it's not like I put on 30 pounds of muscle, but I mean, I'm a testament that you can continue to progress for decades. Um, I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather progress for 30 years versus go do five years of progress to get impatient. And then maybe, you know, you decide that ah, I think I'm going to go the other route, the darker side route. Um, 
some people do that. I mean, that's, that's up to them. I'm not going to judge it, but for me, that's, I think for me, I'm, I'm the way I look at it is like, I want to know that everything that I'm doing that I've done is because of what I've done in the gym, what I've done through nutrition, like basically I just had no assistance. Yeah. Um, that's just me. Um, but it, it is a tough sell because I've had at times, you know, say, well, I'm frustrated because I don't feel like I'm making the progress I should be making. And I don't want to wait 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. Yeah. Um, but you have to, you have to weigh it all out. There's pros and cons to everything. So, you know, if you make a certain decision, you have to weigh out the pros and cons to it. And Ash tells it is really worth it. Um, I can tell you this after training for 33 years, I'm super proud of the fact that I've gone the route I've gone and I'm still continuing to go. I may not be progressing as fast as I once was, but I'm still doing it. I'm still moving weight. And when I look at, let's say some people that I went to high school with and I see the shape there and I'm like, well, okay, I'm not doing so bad, you know? Yeah. How do you, uh, what metrics for somebody like you, what are you tracking on a regular basis? Um, besides weight in the gym, cause I do want to get to how you're still progressing, but on a regular basis to remind yourself that you are progressing. Is there more than just measuring muscle or weight and visually trying to look at yourself in the mirror and assess, am I getting better? Am I getting leaner? Am I getting bigger? Are there things that you're tracking or you have your clients tracking to remind them and kind of keep their head in the game? I think for me, it's different than my clients. Cause I'm like, you know, 33 years into this and I don't have any clients on my roster that have 30 years of training under their belt. Uh, I can speak for me personally, like right now, like, I mean, I still use numbers. Like I still, when I go into the gym, I'm like, okay, can I, can I beat last week's numbers or whatever last sessions numbers? Um, if I can't beat those numbers or if it's not realistic, then I'm like, okay, let me try to make my form look better than it did last week with the same weight. Or let me see if the bar speed is faster than it was. So there's, there's little things that I look at outside of the just numbers to see if I'm progressing. Um, visually, it's a little bit, um, you have to be very patient at my stage visually. Um, Cause usually it's like, okay, contest season, the contest season, did I get better or not? So that takes time. So I really do have to put a lot of emphasis into more so the love of the process versus the love of the progress, if that makes sense. Because yeah. if I'm just overly focused on progress and if I think like, oh shit, I'm not making the progress like I want to be, or it's not coming as fast, like imagine how impatient I can get. And you just would be miserable. Like you're just constantly just miserable about, you know, how things are going. So I just look at it like, Hey man, I'm, I'm 47. I've been training 33 years. I'm still fairly healthy. I'm moving the weight. And that's, that's awesome in itself. There's people out there in the world that can't even walk. And for me to be focused on, hey, you know, I, I can't do one more rep than last week and beat myself up over it. I mean, yeah, I mean, the bodybuilder in me says, yeah, I want to progress. But the realist in me, a bit from a bigger perspective, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm moving weight. I mean, that's pretty damn awesome in itself. Um, as far as my athletes, numbers are big, performance aspect of it, like I've already talked about. So really kind of same thing applies for athletes, my athletes in the gym. Um, but, you know, visual because you know a lot of them are younger they're they don't have as many years on, under their belt so they're going to see changes faster so you know looking at like someone's visuals every two three months seeing as comparison photos you know seeing if there's progress from that regards something i do uh with with many of my athletes if it's a contest prepper you can see changes usually weekly um, if it's off season like i said every two or three months you might be able to do some visuals body weight that type of thing i think it's good perspective not only 
what you're saying about like realizing other people might not even be able to walk, but you said two to three months. And I think that sometimes hits people hard because especially in general population, like you need to commit to time because you might not see insane progress every single week, unless like you said, you're getting ready for stage, you're going to see bigger changes. So just hearing somebody like you who has been in this say like, you know what, like every two to three months, we should be seeing progress kind of solidifies the fact that we need to commit to a little bit longer. Yeah. Weekly progress. Yeah. Maybe, maybe early on you'll see that, but I mean, eventually, yeah, you're going to have to look at things through, through bigger, through a bigger lens, um, like a bigger window. Um, it's just not going to, ha- you're not going to see weekly progress. Like if you're doing a bench press, for example, you just started training, maybe you'll see progress weekly for a while. Eventually it's like, okay, let me step back. I might have to look at this, like compare month to month. Um, and then eventually you're probably comparing every three months and you're like, okay, let me go every six months. Um, so that's like for me, for example, like, let's say I'm doing like, um, like a seated cable row or something like that. You're not going to see weekly progress on that. It's, it's it just ain't going to happen. But if I can say, okay, I was using 180 pounds on the stack the previous six months. Now I'm, I'm doing 190, 200 regularly on the stack. If you compare the six months of volume versus the six months of volume, over time, that's going to equate to quite a bit more. And you'll probably see visual improvement over that time span as well to kind of back it up. Um, so you just have to look at, like, you have to understand where you're at with your journey. You have to look at, you know, what's realistic, the expectations. And, you know, are you looking at everything realistically as far from a progress standpoint? Is it is it not absolutely necessary to progress on everything to make visual progress or to build muscle or burn fat or whatever your goal is are you saying like i don't need to throw five pounds on the bar every single week to get there you're not even every other week it's okay to actually maintain those numbers and focus on something else like yeah depending yeah depending on the lift like like take for example a a curl like you're not there's no way like i mean just from a leverage standpoint there's no way you're going to add five pounds to your curl every week yeah i've been doing the same amount of curls for like 20 years but yet my arms are bigger over that time span so it's not like, let's say you work with 100 pounds this month and 105 next month. Like every time you do 100 pounds, you're, you're still stimulating the muscle. It's not like your muscle's going to go, oh, it's just 100 pounds again. I don't feel that. Right. It's still being worked. And it's still over time, you're adding volume over time. So a big, at least in my mind, a big piece of that is actually uh, the mind-muscle connection. I'm big on that because I do, I think it prevents injuries personally, like being able to target your muscle. And I know Alberto's put out a quite a bit of content talking about that side of stuff. Where do you stand on that? Because some people, it's all about volume total. So I don't care if you get the bar up fast, if you drop down the squat, it doesn't matter, tension or not. Where do you stand with that? And what's what's your philosophy behind all that? So we go back to longevity. Like and for me, form is the number one priority for my longevity. I think it's kind of like your insurance policy for that. Um, so if you're in control of the weight versus the weight control on you, that means, I mean, you're in control. So that makes sense that you want to make sure that your form is on point to prevent injuries. I think that's a mistake you see a lot of younger lifters make is they just lift with their ego too much and they're ahead of themselves and they're putting too much weight on the bar. You know, form is terrible. Then before you know it, they're racking up injuries. Um, so I think it's huge. I think it's a huge component, not, not just from longevity, but also for progress. Like if you're, you know, let's say you're doing curls, like I mentioned earlier, and you swing in the weight or you're leaning, you're using a lot of body English, um, you're actually taking volume away from the, from the targeted muscle because you're asking assistance 
from momentum, which you're probably getting that momentum from hip drive. Um, so if you lower the load down and just let the bicep do all the work, then in my opinion, that's where all the volume is going. So it, to me, it's just like, it's like, that's what I stress with my athletes is form is always priority. Like form should be a, more of a priority um, than load for sure. The only time I'll increase my, my loads is when I know I can be 100% spot on with my form. I like that. That's really the way you say it. Like you're almost like cheating volume. You're not even really doing volume at that point. I think that's a good way to look at it because in our minds, like doing more is actually more volume. So what you're saying, it's not always that case. You're doing it. Let's say you're doing instead of a hundred pound curl, you're doing 120, but you're swinging it at the 120. So, I mean, the tw- like you're, you're asking hip drive and all that. So yeah, you're getting volume. It's just not going all to where you really want it to go. It's going elsewhere as well. Yeah. So the, the good word I like to use is efficiency. You want to be like, in my opinion, I want to become the most efficient lifter I can. Not, not the most, how much I can do, but the most efficient I can do. Yeah. With your lifting, um, I've, I've watched a couple things of yours. Like you do training logs on YouTube and stuff. Um, and sometimes it seems like you take a very simplistic approach. And I think a lot of people, especially and I, I don't necessarily blame social media, but there's a lot of crazy exercises being done. And I mean, the BOSU ball thing came out years ago and everybody was doing stuff on a BOSU ball. And now there's like bands around every machine you can get, um, which may or may not have validity to it. But you seem to take a very simplistic approach. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is there any reason why or do you have any explanation upon like your exercise selection? I think it's just my personality. I'm very like, we'll start there. Context. I'm just very simple. Like my wife will say I'm a boring eater. Um, you know, I don't like to get dressed up too often. You know, I'm just pretty, just basic and simple. Um, so that's one, but I think also too, that the way I look at it, like if I, not to, not to say I'm a minimalist, but if I keep exercises, let's say minimal, um, and I'm, I'm doing the same ones over and over again, I get better at them. Like my form improves over time. Um, and if I'm constantly like interchanging these things, um, it's just, it's more room for error for me. So I know if, okay, if I'm doing a, a, a rack row and I'm doing it like week after week after week, I'm just only going to get better and better and better. Um, so that's kind of like why I like to keep things simple. Um, it's structured. Like I'm very structured and very systematic. Uh, but I don't like to have a lot of moving parts at once. I like to have things pretty consistent because consistency is a lot easier to assess than inconsistency. So if you have a lot of moving parts going on at the same time, then it's hard to find out, okay, what is doing what, what's working, what's not working. But if you have everything nice and tight and consistent, it's, it gets a lot easier to pinpoint those things. And when you do make a change, you know, it's for the right reason. You're like, okay, everything's been very precise and I've been very consistent with things. That one thing I'm going to change because I don't think it's working too well. You change it out. And because everything else is still staying the same, but that one thing you change, now you can assess is that new thing working or not. Uh, So I just, I'm just like a big proponent of keeping things very simple, very systematic. And for all the reasons I kind of just mentioned, it's just, it's easier to keep evolving in my opinion that way. I think you just explained exactly why you're a great bodybuilder. Very simple. Yeah. <laughs> like keeping things consistent, like everything having structure. Um, how long, uh, what does your training split look like right now? And how long do you actually, because you're saying, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of progressing on this. Um, I think another problem we see a lot of is program hopping, people yeah. jumping from one thing to the next because they get bored. And I've been guilty of it too. 
Um, how long do you like to stick with the program? And then what do you recommend to your athletes versus you? Yeah, there's definitely a big difference again there. So context, I'm far advanced. Um, I know myself extremely well. Um, so personally, I don't have a program per se. I have a structure, but I have a lot of flexibility within that structure. So I go by principles. Um, so I know, okay, you know, anywhere between three and 30 reps can drive hypertrophy. Um, but I also know myself like, okay, on specific exercises, I know this rep range feels better. It's safe. It's comfortable. Um, and I enjoy those, that rep range with, like, let's say, for example, I'm doing, um, uh, rack rows, for example, again, like my rep range is five to tens on there. Any less than five, my form just is terrible. The load, it's just too heavy. Um, it's unsafe. Any more than 10, I feel like it's cardio. Um, and I get fatigued. You know, I'm just winded, and then my form kind of breaks down. So I found that anywhere between five and 10 is a nice sweet spot. And that's a little bit, not to say it's a, a high risk movement, but, you know, you don't want to go to failure on that because, you know, you can have lower back issues with that. So I'm like, okay, let me keep at least one to three reps in the tank on this. Um, and that's enough intensity to, to drive hypertrophy. Um, so I base a lot of the things I do on principles versus I'm on this specific program. So I still have like, okay, I have like an upper lower split. Um, and I, I just kind of within that structure, within, you know, my rep ranges and all that, that's kind of where I work in. Um, but with my athletes, if they're, let's say, a little greener, meaning they're not very advanced or you know, not even intermediates or whatever, then I'll set something up that's rigid. Like here's a rigid system or structure, and I want you to follow it to the T. That basically is why we can develop a baseline. Um, cause you've been, again, you're precise, you're consistent, easier to assess. And then over time, as that bodybuilder gets a little more advanced, they move into the intermediate to the advanced stage, then you can start getting more flexible. Like I mentioned, like with myself, because they have the experience now to make those decisions in the gym. Whereas early on, they don't really have the experience to do so. Um, so it's kind of like an evolution. It's like a process that goes on. Like it could go from anywhere, like first year, two years, three years, depending on how, how fast they grasp fundamentals and principles. Yeah. It probably takes quite a while to be pretty intuitive like that with your training. How, how do you know when to switch things out? When, how do you know when to jump up rep range? Do you have any periodization? Are you intuitive with that? And then how does that look like for your athletes as well? Like how often are you switching their stuff? I generally, it depends on where they're at. Like they're in a deficit or they're in a surplus or whatever. But generally if you're in a surplus, then I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, program B loads maybe every five to eight weeks, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so a lighter week of training. Um, if someone who's prepping, it's going to be like, I'm going to be more systematic okay, every fourth week. Um, just because you are in a deficit, your fatigue levels are going to be a little more escalated because you don't have as much food coming in. So recovery is not as good. So I just want to make sure that fatigue levels aren't getting too um, wonky. Um, so you do things like that. Um, hopefully that kind of answers the question a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, one thing I guess I wanted to touch on is just periodization as a whole. Um, I don't, I want to say it was John Meadows and I'm not going to like anybody listen, don't quote me on this, but I want to say he was the one that kind of said he doesn't really follow a periodization principle because he doesn't think it matters in bodybuilding. Um, and then there's the other people. I mean, especially if you have any type of power lifting in you, you're very structured with periodization. 
what do you, what is your take on it? Do you need to worry about this? Do you have strength phases where you work on specific things for four weeks before going back to anything? Um, or do you just kind of stay in the same, same rep range pretty much all the time? With my bodybuilders, I'm, I kind of like in the, in the metals camp, I don't think it needs to be as rigid. Um, you know, so especially like if you're, if you're in a surplus, um, like I just like right before we got on this, this, uh, this call right here, I was working with one of my other, another athlete and he's like, I think I need a deload. I'm like, you think? And he's like, I'm a little beat up. I'm like, well, instead of running a full on deload, like a full week where you just tone things down. I mean, he's off season. We're in a surplus. I'm like, why don't you just take one or two sessions back it down a little bit? So lower down the intensity level. Um, maybe take a day off from the gym extra and you probably will feel fine after that to get after it again. So instead of wasting maybe four, not wasting, but you know, four or five days, let's say that, you know, you're kind of going more idle. You could be, you could be actually working harder because you, you're not as fatigued just because you took a small break versus a lot, a longer break. Um, but when I'm in it, like, like again, when my athletes are in a deficit, I definitely like to make sure that it's a little more systematic. Um, like, every, like I said, deloading every fourth week, maybe every fifth week, somewhere in there. Cause generally after about, you know, three or four hard weeks of training and a deficit, you're going to, your, your fatigue levels are going to climb. Yeah. Big time. Uh, are you typically staying in any one rep range? I mean, there's the old, so for a long time, it was said, you know, eight to 12 reps, like that's your hypertrophy zone. So bodybuilders just stayed there. And then Brad Schoenfeld and some other people kind of came out with research said, well, you know what, you can really build muscle anywhere. So now it's kind of like, well, what do you like doing? Maybe we integrate some of that. Is that how you approach some of your athletes if they like to lift heavy or do you stay? That's how I approach most of them. Like it's more like, okay, what's practical for the specific individual? Like science can tell me, hey, you know, let's say science said, on this particular exercise, five reps is optimal. But the athlete I'm working with is like, I hate doing fives. Like it makes no sense for me to say, I'm going to force you to do fives because of what science says. Right. What's going to end up happening is like, okay, I'll do it. He'll do it for maybe two or three weeks. He'll say, screw Jeff. I'm going to do whatever I want anyways. Yeah. So I might as well give him something that I know it's going to be very practical they're going to enjoy because one, they're going to be more motivated to train. So they're probably going to perform a hell of a lot better just because they're more motivated. And then two, they're going to be able to sustain it because they're enjoying it. Right. So to me, it's like, I kind of, I try to look at the research, look at the science. What does it say? Now the question is how can I apply that? Can I apply that? If I can, great. If I can't, well, let's find something else that will work, you know, for that specific athlete, even if it is quote unquote, let's say less optimal in the end, it's going to be more optimal anyways, for the reasons I just mentioned. Yeah. I think everything comes back to consistency and adherence always. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously you don't, you don't want to set something up for it. Like if someone says, Hey, I want to deadlift doing singles all the time. Yeah. You know, then it's like, no, I'm not going to give you that because that's not smart, you know? Right. So, but I think you kind of get where I'm going with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so going back to the idea of, your training being so intuitive. Um, I want to shift gears and talk nutrition. Is that how you approach nutrition as well? Do you kind of feel like there's this bell curve of like, you know, you use macros to figure out where you're at, get your result, and then you can kind of slowly be more intuitive with things. How do you approach that with clients? And then do you go intuitive or do you track year round? Because I am a bodybuilding coach, um, like when it's contest prep mode, I'm definitely want my athletes more rigid. Um, but more talking off season or someone who's just maybe just trying to improve muscle mass or something like that, then 
yeah, you still want to have some structure there, but kind of like I touched on earlier, you want flexibility within that structure for, for adherence, for sustainability. Um, so I have different systems that I have that I use depending on the athlete. Um, you know, sometimes I might say, okay, let's just follow a calorie target and a protein target and flex around your, flex, your fats and carbs as long as you're matching up to the calories. Um, or it might just be, Hey, let's just hit calories depending on, you know, the person and the individual, maybe just hitting calories is all they can really adhere to. So it just kind of depends on the individual. And I do have a few different types of systems that I'll use, um, that I think would work for a specific person. Um, but I mean, in a, in a nutshell, like as far as progress concerned, you know, regardless, the more you put into something, the more you're going to get out. I think that's kind of the bottom line. So, you know, when I say flexible, it doesn't mean, hey, let's see how much we can get away with. Yeah. Speaking of flexible, because that's what flexible dieting kind of turned into for a while, this if it's macros kind of hit. Where do you stand with uh, how flexible you can be, how flexible you and your athletes can be? And I, I've worked with uh, multiple natural bodybuilding coaches just in photo shoot prep or anything um, when I got on stage to – and there's certain people who take a much more flexible approach and it's just daily calories, macros, that's all. And then there's other people that are very particular about certain foods and timing and, and things like that. <laughs> how much of that bro science do you implement and actually have, think has validity and how much of it is just macros? And as long as you hit it, you're good. I think adherence is the number one priority anytime we're dieting. Like, I don't care how the diet's set up. It's like, that's the number one. It's like, you can't adhere to something. You're not going to make progress. Um, but I mean, if we're talking like contest prep, I mean, yeah, you gotta be on, on top of it. Uh, but I'm not a coach who's going to say, all right, man, um, here's your meal plan. Like I'm going to write you out, you know, you got to eat six meals a day. This is the time you're going to eat. These are the foods you're going to eat. Um, because yeah, you might be able to follow it. Let's say you follow that for 20 weeks for a prep or something, 20 weeks straight, you're on the money. What's going to end up happening once the show is over with? All that I taught you over the 20 weeks was how to follow this piece of paper that I wrote out for you. Like there's no tools after, like you're going to go back to whatever you're doing before that might not be too great. You know, you're probably going to might fall off the wagon, overeat, binge eat, gain a bunch of weight. And the last thing I want to do is like start to develop disorders for people. Um, so I get, like I said, I set up a structure. It's like, okay, here's, here's your macro targets. These are the fiber targets. This is like, you know, your micronutrients, we need to get these in. But it's up to you to set up your, your, the way your, your routine is going to be, like according to your life schedule. So whether that's three meals, four, five, whatever is going to work with your life schedule the best, that's what I want you to do. Um, and then if that individual, let's say, they're having a hard time setting that up, then of course I'll assist them in helping them with that or give them ideas on how to maybe better it. But for me to just say, hey, here, you're going to follow this piece of paper, um, the adherence, yeah, it might be temporary, but I don't think it's going to be sustainable because you may not like broccoli, you know, <laughs> that I said, or you may not like brown rice or chicken. So, you know, that way you're in control of those things. Um, and I think that it's definitely better, in my opinion, for adherence and sustainability. And also from a big picture perspective of teaching you skills, how to maneuver your nutrition over the long haul, not just for a contest prep or for this eight week cut or something like that. How do you keep all that together personally, flexibility and sustaining it 
competing. Um, I don't know how often you compete, so you can maybe give us some context on that. But then also having a family and, and staying balanced. This is definitely something I wanted to talk to you about because I assume you're experienced in that department. And um, I'm a new father, so it's always great for me to hear from other people like how they maneuver and instill yeah. sanity. Um, let's, let's go back. So back in time when I first started competing, you could say I was total bro. Like I, I was eating the same food, same time, like basically total bro. So I know firsthand from experience what it's like to be very rigid like that and then to do a show. And then after the show, it's like, oh, shit, pizza, hamburgers, fries, milkshakes, and gain 20 pounds in a week. Like I was that guy. Um, and I did that, you know, for a few years early on. And that, so that's why when I speak now about, hey, we've got to think past the show and not be as rigid and look for more sustainable approaches. That's where that comes from, stems from. Um, also from, you know, what research is telling us too as well. So a lot of this stuff that, you know, I've learned over the years. Um, so as far as competing and in, in being having a family and all that that is something that um in 2013 i thought i was going to compete and i remember i contacted uh natural uh world champion brian whitaker because he's a family man himself he's done it like hey man what do you think i'm thinking about doing this i gotta you know my son's gonna be born in a couple months and he's like don't do it jeff he's like, don't do it wait wait till he's born have about a year under your belt um get your family in order have a structure then you'd probably be okay to compete after that. So I took his advice. That's what I did. Um, but it wasn't easy that first prep because, you know, obviously when you're dieting, you know, you're hungry, you're lethargic at times. Um, and bodybuilding is a sacrifice when you're prepping. It's definitely a sacrifice. So it was hard to find a good balance between home life and family life. And I, I thought I did, I mean, uh, bodybuilding life, I thought I did a good job. So I was like, Staying aware, like, okay, if we had, like, my family wanted to go out to dinner, I'm going to go to the dinner. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go order my Diet Coke and still be present and not, you know, have everybody focusing on what I was doing, but me being involved with, with what they were doing. I thought, so, you know, that's just a taste of it, but there's a lot more to it. But long story short, I thought I did a great job. At the end of it, uh, my wife says, it's good to have you back. And I was like... <laughs> And she's like, yeah, it was at times a little bit hard, but she didn't complain one time, but yeah, it's definitely when you're prepping and you have a family, it, it does, there is a sacrifice there. Uh, but I think it is important to make sure that you're putting everybody else first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you got to understand that you're making the decision to bodybuilding. You're making that decision to diet, not them. So, so for you to say, be selfish and have them think, okay, they got to cater to me because of what I'm doing. I think it should be the other way around. And again, this is speaking from experience because early on I was that asshole husband. Um, my, my ex-wife probably can't stand bodybuilding to this day just because, you know, it, I was very selfish. Like it was all like when I was prepping, it was like, no, I can't go out to eat. I'm prepping. No, I can't do that. I'm doing this. Um, so I look back on that. I'm just like, man, not too proud of it, but you know, that's how I learned. Um, and that's what I try to do now every time I compete and what I actually try to stress to my athletes, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that your loved ones, you know, they're the priority because you don't want to be that guy on a bodybuilding stage. You know, you look up, you got your first place trophy, but there's no one in the audience for you because you're an asshole the whole way through. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny too, because I, so I, I have a photo shoot this weekend and 
I planned that right after our baby was born and it was the worst idea. Um, I got lean, but, and it's a photo shoot. It's different than stage. So by no means is it like as hard as a deadline to get as lean as possible, but I didn't make as nearly as much progress as I expected because I have a family now it's tough. It's different. And, um, Mm -hmm. to go way back, I've done one physique show and I actually emailed Eric Helms for advice. This is five years ago. And I had a vacation on a cruise the like two days after my, stage and i thought it was a great idea to celebrate and he yeah. was pretty much saying no don't do that trust me and i did it anyway and i ballooned back up um but that process made me so much more intrigued of like what's going on with my metabolism and my body and why is this so hard and what are people going through and do you feel like having that failure or like doing it the wrong way is kind of the key of all these lessons you've learned over the years like you've kind of tried everything the wrong way at first to to get the knowledge to help people well it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. So, I mean, I look back, like now I look back in hindsight, like, man, I made a, a shit ton of mistakes. Um, and I could have, I could have been better earlier if I had the knowledge that I have now or because I, in my generation, when I came up, you know, we didn't have, you know, that there was no internet. So I don't have access to all the good information that we have now. So it's just a double-edged sword. Like it, it sucked that I made all those mistakes, but now as a coach, I'm glad I went through them because now I have that, that wisdom to help other people avoid those same pitfalls that I had. Um, and I don't think like, I don't beat myself up. I'm still making mistakes even 33 years in like the last, I tried to contest prep earlier this year. Like I had to stop it just because it wasn't going the way uh, I wanted it to go. Like I, I looked over dieted. My, my training wasn't very good because I had a lot of aches and pains and injuries. Um, and I kind of looked at it like, shit, I'm quitting this prep. It's I'm failing. And I was kind of hard on myself. I'm like, here I am a 3d muscle journey coach. I'm failing. Everybody's looking at me. But what I realize now, like looking in hindsight, like that, I was trying to learn how to train again, like, like a newbie. It's really, I never experienced training being older in a sense where my body just like, you know, I'm getting older like my joints are hurting more so than they ever have. Um, and like I have a little bit of arthritis in my fingers. Like I got these little things that I've never experienced before. So it's almost like I'm trying to learn how to train again with this new body. I have not an improved body, just this new body. So I'm still making, but I'm still learning. So now that I'm prepping again, I could already tell I'm making changes for the better because of the experience I went through. So I think a lot of people, they beat themselves up when something don't go right, but sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. It can make you better. How, how often do you um, periodize dieting and everything as just as a whole, when you look at a year for an athlete, like, and they're doing a prep, do you let them do back-to-back preps? Do you eat or general population? Do you let them diet down for a vacation or a wedding or whatever they're getting ready for? do you make sure they have a a period of time where they come back up to maintenance and you kind of reverse diet them and you let them feel better for a while? And what's that process like? And how do you stress that to people? Because I don't think enough people kind of think about the diet after the diet. It depends on the, like what the goals are um, and where that person is in their journey. Um, Like me personally, like I've already developed all my muscle, like a good, like 99% of it probably. So I can get away with maybe doing preps every year, every other year. Uh, but someone who's, let's say, in their one year of training, two years of training, three years of training, like doing a prep every single year, that's not too ideal. They're not going to really put too much muscle on because they're constantly dieting year after year. Um, so they might need maybe two years, three years of, of off season in between their shows to really make significant improvements. 
Um, someone who's wanting to diet for their vacation, like, oh, I want to look better for the beach. You have to really kind of ask them, like, you really want to diet just to look better on a beach when no one's going to know who you are on the beach. And when the vacation's over, no one's going to give a shit. You're not going to give a shit anyway. So like, I try to like talk to my athletes like that. It's like, okay, what's truly important? Does it make sense? Um, and if, if it, let's say the person that, yeah, I really want to diet. I'm like, okay, let's make sure it's done in a productive way an efficient way. And then when it's over, you know, depending on where you're at, either you, if you're able to, like a lot of people can lose weight, but it's another thing to maintain it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if you do take off your 10 pounds, is it going to be sustainable? Like, can you maintain that in a healthy way? So that would be the next question, you know, yes or no. And then that's obviously once you get that answer, then you know what kind of direction to go in. So if they can't, then you're like, okay, we got to bring those calories back up and get your body weight up. And you have to try to accept, you know, that you're going to be a little bit, you know, walk around a little bit fluffier. Um, so that's kind of like how I, I kind of just process things that way. I just like truly get inside someone's head and see where they're at and try to go in the direction that makes the most sense um, realistically and practically. Well, I think that's, it's a good coach, right? Like actually looking at things realistically and helping people get, because sometimes people can't see what they need to see. And I think that's part of being a coach is asking the right questions and, and kind of guiding them to the answers they need to see. Um, and I have a couple more questions for you before we let go. And that's kind of one of them. Like there's a lot of coaches and trainers um, for all types of different athletes or clientele that listen to this podcast, what kind of advice can you give to them? Um, whether it's one thing or three things to be a better coach, like what do you guys instill in your coaches at three MJ? What have you learned over the years and how can they do better at what they do to help people? You got to like, for me personally, and for us, I should say, I speak for the whole team. Communication is huge. Um, open, honest communication. So um, I always stress to my athletes, hey, I, I love when things work well. I want to know about it. Tell me all about it. Who doesn't want to hear that? But I also want to know when things aren't working well or you don't like what we're doing. Um, because there's always something else as a coach that you can find that they would enjoy maybe and you can still get progress. Um, there's times where I just have to be straight up and say, you know what? Nope, we're going to do this because this is why, um, especially if it keeps them safe. But I mean, you, you definitely want an open and honest um, communication line in order to be successful as a coach and athlete together. I think if it's a dictatorship, you're saying, Hey, you, I want you to do exactly as I say all the time. Um, I think you're only going to get so far with that. And the last thing I want as a coach is to have my athletes not happy at the end of it. I, and I had a, a, I thought I had a very good experience with one athlete in particular. It turns out that he didn't have the greatest experience. So um, long story short, took this athlete, young athlete, 20 years old, took him to, um, you know, to two shows. He took first in his class, um, one, one guy away from winning a pro card in both of those shows at 20 years old. So in my eyes, like, wow, this is successful. You know, this young kid got shredded, you know, he did pretty well on stage, but at the end of it, he told me I hated everything about it. Didn't like wow. the training, didn't like, you know, the, basically didn't like the approach and the system that we ran. Um, and that was my fault. That was on me because I didn't stress early on. This was like years back. Like, hey, I want to know when you're not liking something. Like if I would have said, told that to him from the get-go, then he could have informed me, yeah, I don't like this, Jeff. And we could have made changes uh, to potentially have you know, made the same amount of progress or maybe even more. That's huge. I think that alone, just communicating and just asking questions will set people apart. Because unfortunately, it's not 
so common <laughs> that that coaches actually do that, um, especially in the online space. So, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on so much, man. I have one final question. It's a personality question. I always do this at the end for all my guests. Um, so here's the situation. You're sitting at a dinner table and you have three open seats in front of you. And you can put anybody at that table with you, alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. Oh, man, you just killed it right there. I was like, I already had my answer. Okay. Well, I knew it would be your family right away. So who is no, this going to be? No, no friends or family. No. My well, goodness. Hmm. It's a tough one. They can't be alive either? They can't be what? They can't be alive. It has to be someone... No, they can be alive, alive or dead. Anybody, just not friends or family. Somebody you don't know personally. Okay, I think um, I would I would put President Obama in one of those seats. Um, I'd probably put the last three presidents in that seat. Yeah. Actually, I'd go Obama, Bush, and then Reagan. Why so? I just think I would like to hear their perspectives on on the world from all those eras. And I think it was like give, having a sense of what, what those eras, like what truly was going on in the world yeah. through their lens. Like, yeah. like if I can really dive into getting answers that they would probably never say in public, I'd probably get it like a reality on how things are truly are. <laughs> I think that would be a very interesting conversation. I think it would be cool. I love it. Scary though. Yeah, it probably would be scary. <laughs> I love it. Great answer. So, um, before I let you go, where can everybody find your work, uh, your team, your personal stuff, and everything? Because I want to make sure people can take in the content you guys are putting out. 3dmusclejourney.com, team 3dmj at uh, YouTube, and then uh, 3dmj Godfather on Instagram. Before I before I let you go, where does the Godfather come from? I got to ask that. Uh, that comes from uh, actually comes from Matt Ogus. So back when he was making his cakes, um, you know, we were making those cakes together, and he said he just called me the uh, cake godfather. Um, <laughs> then eventually the cake got dropped, and it's just Godfather. And I think just because I'm older and I've been around for a long time, I think it kind of just stuck. It's a badass name, man. I can't I can't argue with that. <laughs> well, well, thank I'll you so it. much, man. Thank you for coming on the show. All right, man. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be Functional Muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. 
Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.